0: Hello and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. Today we've got a really interesting couple of episodes with David Davis, who's completed the top 100 golf courses in the world, played all 100 of them, and is now a panelist on the top100golfcourses.com. We tried to fit this into one episode, but he's got so many stories and he's such an interesting guy that we decided to split into two. So this is part one of the top 100 golf courses with David Davis. Watch this. Hello, and welcome back to the Cookie Jar Golf Podcast. I am Tom Mills, and today I'm joined by Sam Williams. Hello. And a special guest, David Davis. David is a golf traveler. He is in charge of the Top 100 Golf Traveler Instagram account, and if you haven't checked it out, please do. It's absolutely fascinating. He has finished all Top 100 Golf Courses in the world and is now a panelist on top100golfcourses.com. And has been for about a decade or so. So, David, lovely to have you on the pod.
1: Well, hey guys, thank you so much for um, for inviting me. It's a it's always a pleasure, and a very, uh, of course, obviously, I'm always interested to talk about golf.
2: Well, well, it's it's we're lucky to hunt you down. You're a rare breed. How many of you, how many of them are you in the world, David, that have accomplished something similar as to what you've done? I know there's different ratings, right?
1: I, I believe there's around about 50 people that have done, well, let's put it this way. Um, 50 people that we know and we've tracked down that have, uh, played the top 100 golf courses in the world, um, according to a Golf Magazine in the U.S. So according to any one of their lists going back to like 19, I don't know, it might even be nineteen nine, nineteen eighty seven, nineteen eighty eight, nineteen ninety, 1987, 1988, 1990 wow. or something like that. So, um, um, in terms of, um, I, I also started to play the golf magazine list just because they were, you know, they were the one that I had put the most respect in um, coming from the U.S. Um, and then also I I kind of adopted the top 100 golf courses uh, list as well. They're, they're, they're world top 100. So I actually uh, completed both of those lists, it, uh, both of those in one year, 2018. Uh, so the 2018 list of both of them.
2: Wow, that's incredible wow. and and before we jump into how you got started on this, just in terms of your personal circumstances, so you are from the states originally, correct
1: uh, originally from Oregon that's correct
2: but now residing in the Netherlands
1: uh, residing just outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands yeah well, well not just now but like i uh, like I've mentioned to you guys before for um already twenty six years.
0: So I suppose, um, David, you kind of start at the end, really, because it all ties in quite nicely. Your 100th course um, was Augusta, wasn't
1: it? My 100th course was uh, Augusta National, absolutely, in uh, 2018.
0: Okay. I mean –
1: so you'd have played that
2: about this time of year then as well, because I think did I read it, it was November yeah. time? So.
1: That's exactly right, end of November, uh, 2018. Uh, quite an experience, and very um, interesting and ironic that uh, you know because of the pandemic that we would have a a Masters played in November. So it's this is very timely, you know, given that last weekend was uh, the exciting culmination of the of the Masters.
0: Could you relate to them, knowing the soft conditions of Augusta? Were you, were you feeling their pain?
1: So, absolutely. Um, one of the things that I had—I uh, did a little video, a couple of videos about—was uh, what it was like to play in um, November, end of November, at Augusta National, because a whole bunch of people asked me, "Okay, the Masters is going to be there. Then, what do you think is going to happen?" Well, we were—you know—we we played, and it was. It it wasn't beautiful weather like they had. It was kind of wet. So um, luckily, the first day, it it wasn't raining at all. But um, but, I mean, I I can think of probably... You know, six or seven different tee shots that landed in the fairway and ended up with like mud balls, and there was mm-hmm. mud on them. Right. And and we also, so we were just kind of following the rules, you know, like you always do. You you follow the rules of, of your host, and you want to be really careful, uh, especially when you're at a place like Augusta, right? You don't want to do anything wrong, like pick up the ball and you know <laughs> lick it off or something and put it back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but but um, I had um, I you know I, I live in the Netherlands. Of course, there's a lot of muddy courses, but I don't play very much mud, muddy uh, courses at all. So I've had very few mud balls in, in my life of golf. I mean, you guys would know in the UK, I mean, if you're playing Lynx courses, you don't have very, very many mud balls, right? It'd be quite rare.
2: We're a big fan of the sandy and acidic soil composition that uh, I think you guys enjoy, and we have plenty (laughs) of around here. Uh,
1: Absolutely. So I I actually hadn't had many mud balls in my life, and and there's one just quick story. On the 10th hole, I hit one of my best drives of the day, and I went down, and the ball – you know, it, it had just landed and it was maybe like five centimeters away from the the, the, the the pitch mark, basically. So it plugged and kind of just came out of the, the pitch mark and half of the ball was full of mud. Mm. And I, I actually wasn't quite sure what to do. I thought, OK, I asked the caddy, can I I can clean that. Right. And he's like, well, you better watch uh, i don't think that we're i don't think we're cleaning the balls really? you know? so it was like really Whoa. formal and i was thinking to myself okay well, listen i'm you know i'm just a hack and i'm here uh, trying to have a fun round and enjoy uh, you know augusta in, in this special occasion and and then i'm like okay I'll, I'll hit it and so i was still a distance away it's quite a long hole just so far enough away that i was having to hit a four iron and so i hit my shot and it just went I, I, hit, I hit what I thought was a really pure shot. I hit it really well. It took off and it went straight right after it really? taking off perfectly in the right line. And it went straight into the bushes.
2: <laughs> well, you were in good company, weren't you? Because uh, you could see the 10th was um, watching the watching the Masters, um, depending on when we released this, maybe a couple of weeks ago. Um you could see the tent for the struggling because it's such an elevated tee position, right? Um, and obviously the ball's coming down and getting stuck with mud. Uh, we're going to get into your adventure and how you got into doing this, but I, I'm just interested while we're talking about somewhere like Augusta National, mm-hmm. you're there with somebody who I'm guessing is, um, a, a friend or a connection or somebody you've known through a mutual friend and you're, it just—you gave me the example there. Are we cleaning the ball and placing it, and actually, I've just got to toe the line. What's the vibe like when you're there? Are you playing a a serious medal round? Is it just a case of you're just out having a bit of fun and you know playing some skins golf? How does it work, like in terms of the actual format of the golf when you're there for the day?
1: Yeah, you know what? It, it's almost always. Um, there are some exceptions uh, which I'd be happy to share, but it's almost always pretty relaxed. In this case. Um, um i you know i, I didn't, it was the first time i'd met the member so i it wasn't a a, a good friend of mine i had uh, spoke to him and emailed back and forth uh, several times before we actually uh, were were on the course um two of the plane companions um were good friends of mine so and that is how that's how the whole uh, invite came about so if you don't know somebody there you know you're going to be, um, you have to be, you know, via via through a friend or something like that and, and invited uh, to, to join a group, basically. And, and that's what I was a very, very uh, fortunate recipient of of such an invite. And, you know, a, a lot of them are just super relaxed and super chill and it's no problem. You know, uh, you, you, you're you laughing already before you go out and, and it's great. Augusta was a little bit more formal. Very nice. The host was extremely... Um, yeah i will say extremely correct and uh, and really wanting to share everything um about augusta and about the experience but you know it's one of those it's it's one of a small handful of experiences that you i guess you know you've been looking forward to it for so long and 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 you don't even know that it'll ever happen you know so it's kind of surreal so it's like okay you you get there and you just yeah you know you want to make a good impression you don't want to screw things up you want to play well you don't want to uh, you know all, on and on and on like all, all this stuff and and they had said uh, before we were starting just to give you an idea listen um it's really important that we play cu- play quickly um we need to always keep up the pace and, and they were just warning our our whole group you know and one of the gentlemen in our group was uh, 75 and the other one was um m- maybe maybe older than that he might have he might be like 79 and then the, <laughs> the 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 member
2: racing around there. <laughs> yeah.
1: And, and, and the member was um, maybe like my age, like he's like 55, I'm, I'm 50. So he's, he's pretty close to my age, basically. So, um, you know, we were thinking, I was thinking to myself, okay, that how are the two guys going to, you know, race? They're yeah. really good, really good golfers. In fact, both of them had played in like USAMs and stuff like that. The, the older gentlemen. So they, they were very serious. Uh, they're very serious players, but that's kind of the, So the vibe is um, cautious, relaxed, (laughs) formal in a way, Um, if if you can imagine all those type of things. And you just, you know, like, I I guess I can only talk about my own impression of the experience. It was wonderful, but it's definitely an experience where you kind of are – you know just a little bit more than normal kind of watching that you don't do something that um yeah yeah that you know make a mistake somehow or um whatever you know whatever they because they they would have more i don't want to say they have more rules but that's what it feels like
0: yeah Is it we've talked about this on the podcast a couple of times that it can be and it's going to be very difficult talking to you about the top 100 without going through this but expectations can often cloud your judgment and you go if you go in somewhere with really high expectations like I can imagine going into Augusta you've just got the highest expectations you're ever going to have wherever you go. Mm. Does that impact on your enjoyment because your expectations level is so high or does it, you just run with it and it's all cool?
1: Um, it, it it honestly depends on which, you know, which way you look at it. Um, I, I try to, I always try to look at things from almost three different, three different ways. One is that you know, look, I'm out golfing, I'm going to have fun. So I, I, no expectation is going to, you know, uh, make or ruin my day. I prefer to not, to, um, yeah. to not have like a, um, oh, for example, in a brand new course. I don't go study it and uh, look at pictures and try to learn all the holes and all these type of things. But at Augusta, I, you know, we already know all the yeah. holes, right? Yeah, sure. How many times have we seen it basically? Yeah. Um, I will say that it, you know, watching it in the masters and then going there. And, and now everybody can understand the difference of that. That's like the difference between watching this year's masters and watching so, yeah. last year's masters. Right. Yeah. So the, the experience of going is nothing like watching the masters I and mean, then the masters is, it's so electric and there's so many things going on and there's, there's all this crowd and, you know, people are cheering. And I mean, it's a, it's a wild, uh, mag- magnetic kind of experience. And when you're there, um, you know, with just your group. And in fact, in the in that weekend, there was only four different groups there. And so four members with their groups, you know, and, and you
0: still got to keep up the pace. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and you got to keep, and, and they're saying, you got to keep up the pace. And I'm thinking there's four it's groups like, here, you know, yeah. like, uh, yeah, <laughs> okay. yeah. Anyway, it, you know, it it is what it is, and a lot of clubs put a um, uh, put a lot on uh, on quick play, which is you know totally good. That's that's totally fine. That's yeah. that's respectable to do that.
0: I think um, I'm I'm not going to delve into your Augusta story too much because I think your Instagram, which again I'll just remind people is top one hundred golf traveler. You've set out a wonderful series of videos which outlay or your experience with augusta everything from getting the invite all the way through to, to how you played so i'm going to leave people go to your instagram to to find out more about your augusta story so i suppose where we want to go is back to the beginning why do the top 100
1: yeah that's a that's a very good question so i i i fell into it it wasn't a, a dream from the beginning like uh I noticed a lot of people, um, maybe, maybe Instagram and, and, and Facebook caused those type of things for people that they, that they all of a sudden, uh, saw people doing it and they said, oh, I want to do that. So I'm going to start at zero. I'm starting. So I, 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 didn't, I just, I, when I fell in love with golf, let's say in, um, around 2003 or something like that, I, I had in my, my mind, okay, I don't want to ruin golf the way I ruined tennis. Um, because i i was coming you know i was a big tennis guy growing up i played at university you know played um, um played a high level in the u.s and played some satellites stuff like that thought i was going to be a tennis pro um, at, at one stage but tennis was all about competition and training and uh, very serious you know so when i look back on it a lot of times i realized that the only time i enjoyed anything was when i was winning you know or, or maybe when i was training yeah. and it was going really well and i didn't want to start golf and become a fanatic of golf when I fell in love with it and only have it be about competition and and trying to be really good and win and stuff like that. So I decided that I'd make it about travel at first. And I thought, okay, well, I I like to travel, so I'll travel and try to play golf when I'm traveling. And then very soon that morphed kind of in the direction of uh, golf architecture, um, which is something that that has fascinated me uh, from the beginning. And so then basically, I, I just kind of started wanting to travel and uh, you know study golf architecture and and try to see if I could f- figure anything out about this sport and about different courses and uh, different architects and and stuff like that and and that basically took me on this path and you know one day I was I was reading one of the the new lists that came out of Golf Magazine and I don't I don't know what year that was but it, uh, that that could have been in in something like uh, I mean, maybe even like 2013, 2014 or something like that. And then I, I said, oh, well, let me look and see how many of these I've played, you know? And I started going through yeah. the list and I said, Jesus, I've already played like 67 of these courses.
2: Whoa. Wow. What? So you've done a lot <laughs> of this accidentally. That's uh, it, it,
1: it, it, Well, no, not yeah. accidentally. No, that that wouldn't be fair. But I just wasn't directing it towards a list.
2: Yeah, no, so, but that's yeah. impressive still, isn't it? To not consciously and to clear nearly two-thirds
1: of the list. That's. Uh, I mean, I was trying – listen, I was trying to play – Great courses from from you know the great golden age architects or, or, or those type of things right that that was mm. kind of the goal because at that stage I was already with top hundred so you know I the objective there is to you know learn about play uh, study write up a story about the top ten percent of golf courses in the world right that, that's kind of the thing and so a lot yeah. of those if you're going to start someplace in my case I wanted to start someplace yeah I should start with the uh, great courses and yeah, that, that's that's how I kind of rolled into that, and then you know when I was there, I, I was like, okay, sixty-seven, geez, I got to finish this, you know. Then, then yeah. I became yeah. I, I became a little bit of a um, you know a, 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 guy, a guy, bit of yeah, theory. a guy you who was to letting letting yeah. the list dictate my travel uh, <laughs> yeah. for until the end.
2: I think that's reasonable, though, when you've, got to, when you've got to finish off the tail end of it, it's fair to. I'm just interested, because there 's someone who came to the game relatively late by the sounds of it in, in your life, mm-hmm. you know, didn't play as a junior, and then going kind of really heavily into golf architecture, most of the people we've had on the pod when we've talked about architecture have always had somewhere where it felt like that was where it started for them with their passion and their interest and it's Mm. almost always traveling because i suppose that's a reference point of different courses isn't it because you compare them then where was it for you when you were traveling where you were like you know what i'm actually really into this like the designer golf courses i started to appreciate it
1: crazy first ever international golf trip um I believe it was, it, it's probably like 2005, I guess, or something like that. I'd actually have to look it up, to be honest, because I, it's not the <laughs> kind of thing I keep track of. I just remember the trip really well. So the trip and, and it came about kind of as a, as a fluke. So the, the trip came about because, um, a buddy of mine's father had never been to Scotland before. And I was already living over in the Netherlands, of course. And, um, I went to uni with him and his father was a, was a golfer, one of my golf buddies. And, I mean, I, I didn't play with him that often, but I I would see him once in a while. And they, they lived in the, they lived in the Chicago area. Um, and he told me, and he'd been a crazy golfer his entire life. And he told me, look, I, I've never been out of the U S to play golf. And I was like, oh my God, you've never been to like the home of golf to Scotland or anything like that. And I said, but you're so passionate about it. And I said, okay, well, if I set it up, will you come? And he looked at me and he kind of, uh, got a wry smile on his face. And then, and then he said to, his uh, he said to his wife, um, Hey Pat, um, David just invited me to go to Scotland. Do you think that'd be okay? And, uh, he said he'd set it up and she's like, uh, huh, yeah, sure. You can go. No problem. But she <laughs> didn't believe She probably didn't even believe him. Right. <laughs> and, and then, so I, I came back to the Netherlands and I thought like, okay, good. I got to figure out let me see what, if I can set up a golf trip, you know, and this, this is back in early two thousands or whatever, you know, whether it's, it's 2003 to 2005, I don't know, uh, something like that. And, and so I ended up setting up this first, like literally epic golf trip without, without much knowledge or knowing about it at that stage at all. I just started looking into, okay, what, 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 what do they say are the really fun courses to visit in Scotland? And I, I knew that the, you know, the old course was something very special. So, you know, I, I, I um I couldn't get on the, I couldn't get on the old course. I ended up getting us on the old course, but I, I'll just say I couldn't get on the old course. <laughs> I, I, went, I went online, uh, or was it online? No, might, might not have even been online at that stage. I, I don't even remember, but somehow I, I got a, a Tuesday tea time at Muirfield. So I got us on Muirfield. I got sure. us on North Berwick. I got us on Gullen, number one. I got us on King's Barms. I got us to Carnoustie. I got us on the old course <laughs> uh, not the old course yet but um and then we we stayed at uh, what was it called back then st andrew's bay or something like that which yeah. has uh, two courses and and so we, we we played those courses as well so here's this you know amazing setup of courses which at that stage i didn't even know that was such a big deal basically i just thought you know okay i I, I I looked it up and tried to figure out okay which, which of those um would be fun. Arranged this awesome trip and then we went and we, we ended up getting um so we got super lucky. He was a very wealthy guy and so I arranged for him to stay in like is it the is it Grace is it yeah, Grey Walls Grey Walls. walls. Yeah, Newfield, yeah, thank yeah. you. So the Gray Walls Hotel, I didn't stay there. He stayed there. I stayed in a little bread and breakfast about uh, a mile <laughs> down, down the, the road. road yeah. 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 And it was brilliant too. And then at uh, in St. Andrews, he, he stayed in a suite on top of the Old Course Hotel. And then I stayed at this little uh, bread and, bed and breakfast in, in town run by an English woman who was um, an, an, an actress, an English actress. I'd never met one before, actually. So she she was there with her daughter. And I, after the the day of golf, I would sit. I was go join them and drink wine until late late in the evening, basically. And and so I was telling her the story of of, of Tom. This is my friend's father who'd come with me. And she's like, "Oh, he would probably fancy to have a, have dinner in the um, di- dinner in the RNA, wouldn't he?" And I I, I kind of thought to myself right. like, "Well, <laughs> I, I was probably like, well, what's the RNA, you know?" And but now she's like, yeah. "Oh yeah, yeah, that's that's what's special." And I I said, "Oh, do you know what?" This is probably his only trip he'll ever take overseas, you know, to, to Scotland. That would be the most amazing thing ever for a guy like him. And so and, and to long story short, she calls her friend uh, Hamish or something like that. Right. And Hamish says, oh, I'd love to have them, uh, you know. And so the next next night um, we had dinner at the RNA and incredible. I, I didn't tell him what, what we were doing because I thought this is going to be really special for him. And so I just said, listen, tomorrow night uh, I've arranged a dinner and uh, you need to put on a tie and a jacket, you know, and uh, we're going to go to a nice place to have dinner. And so, you know, I went I, I went and picked him up. I was driving, you know, in rental cars or whatever. So I went and picked him up and then I, I came around and we pulled up, to the, pulled up to the side of the RNA. And he looked at me and he just said, I don't. I don't remember exact words, but something like "You got to be kidding me," you know. And I took him and I said, "Yep, we're gonna have dinner at the RNA, Tom." And he, when I, when we walked in there, he started crying. So that's how special it was uh, wow, to him. Wow. So, and you, and so oh, landed on your feet with this trip,
2: haven't you? Yeah.
1: So that's my that's my first ever golf trip. So you guys can imagine how you kind of get the bug after something like that.
2: Yeah. Well, you've just basically. I mean, a normal golf trip to Scotland even, which is a a once-in-a-lifetime for a lot of people, but you put it on steroids there with that itinerary. I mean, the RNA is obviously very very special place to go inside and the clubhouse is just absolutely incredible it really is one of the best but you've played some courses there that are fascinating now we've recently come back from a trip for scotland our listeners will be bored of hearing about it and you know played a number of those courses one of the ones we've not played that we're really interested in playing purely from a golf architecture standpoint is north berwick because i can imagine it's impossible to leave that place less curious about golf architecture than when you arrive was that kind of a was that one of the sort of places where you were like, yeah, I want to learn more about this now. I want to kind of, I want to take this over to the States. I want to understand how these architects moved around different parts of the world, how they all designed courses, how they built different bits of style into their designs. Do you know what I mean?
1: Yep, absolutely. So I left uh, thinking that was one of my, one of my favorites of the trip, actually that one. And uh, as, as the, as the, the young, um, not very intelligent, uh, not, not, not hooked in architectural minded person that, that went right. Um, very fascinated with North Berwick. I thought Mirfield was boring and I thought the old course was boring, to be honest. <laughs> uh, <and laughs> after the first, uh, the, the first go around there. We can bleep um,
2: that out of the pod. That won't. That won't make make the camera. Yeah, we'll just,
1: <laughs> no, we'll just I mean, pretend, we'll just, just pretend you swore for about yeah, thirty seconds. That's that's where everybody's. That's that's when they start throwing food and stuff, right? Uh, <laughs> no, but the, you know, I've I've been back many times to those places, and and you you learn. I mean, in the beginning, if you really know nothing, then you think like I I, I thought the the old course. And if I, if I you know, it would take me another twenty minutes to tell you the tale of just playing the playing the old course because it was miserable like it was just literally miserable that that day i had there it was one of those days when you want to wait in line for it so i i got up at like four o'clock in the morning and went and waited in line and then managed to get him on as well basically wow. but he didn't get out yeah. he said there's no way I, I i'm too old to get out of bed uh, to, to go wait in any line so he wouldn't wait in the line and, you know, I, well, you guys are too young to know the way they used to be, at least maybe they're like that now, but they're very much from, okay, well, if he won't take the effort to get out of bed and come down here, there's no way we're going to put him in, the, you uh. know, link him to a time here. And I said, yeah, but he, he's handicapped. He's an old guy. He can, (laughs) you know, he can hardly walk, you know. So I'm talking, trying to get him, you know, trying to talk him. I just
2: shot 64 around Muirfield yesterday or something. (laughs) 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 But
1: but he finally let me me bring him back uh, so that he could play. that, That was really nice of the guy. It's
0: interesting you say, you know, you were surprised when you looked at the list and you'd already played 67. Sounds like you played 64 of them on that one trip to Scotland. So, uh, <laughs> yeah.
1: Have
0: you? Um, so we, again, we were recently on our trip. Doorknock's one of the big ones that always comes up a lot in Scotland. When did you get to play Doorknock? Was that at a later date or on a similar trip? Or
1: No, that was definitely a much, much later date. I've, I've played it, I think I've played it four times now um the last one was the best one for sure because um uh, that was that was one where everything was in bloom and it was a perfect beautiful day yeah. with a nice breeze and everything it was that was perfect but but yeah so Dornock. um i mean you know how do you want me to go in go into Dornock? i think it's an idyllic location a very special place um it, you know, without going too much into it, it's one of the courses that I believe are the most overrated courses uh, out there. Okay. Though, don't get me wrong; I, I, it's a fantastic uh, experience, and and it, there's a lot of great holes, so it's it's a really interesting course as well. I just don't think that it's a a course that should be in the top, let's say no. the top 20, 20 in the world, for example.
0: And I yeah, think it's like twelfth or something, isn't it? Yeah, I mean yeah. the Not rankings like 12, debate, yeah.
2: don't they? But I think it's a pretty neat segue because. You know, Dornoch for a, a lot of people around the world, and you know, we've got a, a bit of an li- American listener base as well that'll tune into this. And Dornoch is almost a site of pilgrimage for Amer- for a lot of American golfers, and I think a lot of that becomes a you know is born from Donald Ross, and you know, obviously being you know his kind of hometown and being one of the most prolific architects in America how much golf had you played in america before you started embarking on this sort of big conquest because i'm a a huge part of this is the access issues with courses right so i think when i looked Mm. at this it's roughly 50 50 between public access by which i mean might be a members club but you can still pay a hefty green fee to play it i suppose mulefield would be an example of that as much as it's private you can still access it publicly but there's a lot of courses in america that are where access is very, very tightly controlled. So just talk to me about sort of how you get up from Holland going over and doing these American jaunts because there are courses in here that are not always on the way past, are they? You've got places in Ohio or, you know, there's places up in, you know, Massachusetts or Illinois that all of a sudden you're going to need to get to that aren't necessarily surrounded by other things on your list.
1: Kansas and Oklahoma and yeah. uh yeah, there's some
2: So how does that all work? Like, I mean just out from of the way places. Logistically
1: so basically you look at the you know, you, you you look at the map and you try to cluster things together. And you can't be you know too bothered with having to go to some place in the middle of nowhere, stay the night, um, play the next morning go catch a plane or go drive six or seven hours the next day and uh, go to your next destination, basically. Um, or like what I did a lot of times is I, I, I would say, okay, good. I'm, I'm going to go to Sandhills in uh, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, that should be on everybody's bucket list. It's magnificent. What else is there to play in the area? And so that's a trip in and of itself. You know that you 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 fly into um, Denver, Colorado, and you play, you know, um, uh, uh, Colorado uh, Colorado Golf Club, for example, mm-hmm. and then you you drive out and you play Bali Neal and and Sand Hills. That's you know if you can get access there. Um, and then you, and then you go to like Dismal River, for example, you know. And then some people drive even drive even further, which I didn't do on, that, on the first time I made that trip, just to give you an example, right? Because driving to Sand Hills from Denver, that's a five hour drive.
2: That's not smart. you know, or
1: out to ba- Bally Neal, and, and that's five hours through like barren wasteland through the middle of like it's like a desert almost. And you know, it's prairie, yeah. you know, prairie or dune land or sand hills, of course, but uh, but it's there's nothing there for five hours basically. So and those are great trips you know just the experience it's almost like the harder it is to get to places the the more that you appreciate it yeah. when, when you're done you know and and so when you're out on the you know let's say the open road that might sound like a bit of a cliche but out on the open road driving and um, you know you know that there's something interesting at the end of it taking in the the experience of that massive expanse of uh, of country that you're going through that that's pretty special as well even for you know, I, obviously, I'm I'm American. I'm from Oregon, which there's a lot of space in Oregon, you know, a lot of nature and a lot of uh, countryside and stuff like that. But even coming from Oregon and growing up, you know, almost all the traveling that I've done in the U.S. was done when I lived in the lived overseas. So while I did yeah. very little up, I mean, I left the U.S. when I was 20, 23 years old. So I did very little traveling when I, you know, through university and stuff like that, just 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 a bit mm. and then all this uh discovering of the united states i've done on golf because of golf basically and and going back from here but you know the so that one trip was right in the sand hills area i mean that's you know that there's at least you know 13 14 hours of driving uh, just in that one trip basically <sighs> not including the flying and stuff and then the next time you know or actually not the next time but one of the following times i went I went and met a buddy who was a member of Colorado Golf Club. We went to Bali Neal, and after Bolly Neal, we we drove to um, uh, Prairie Dunes, yeah, in uh, Hutchinson, Kansas. So, and and to to drive all that way, you know that I don't I don't remember how how long the drive was basically, and but yeah. you know we were you know he. He he was driving and he does that all the time. It's like nothing if you're living there. So maybe it's a 13 hour drive or something. I I could be wrong. So don't <laughs> don't don't hold me on the time. But you know it, it's a really long drive. And and then you know he, it, it, it's a little bit quicker if you drive 100 miles an hour like like we were basically. Yeah. You know. But you then you got to hope that. Uh, there's there's no good old boy uh, police officers waiting uh, behind the yeah. sign. They don't like speeding yeah. in America. They hate it. Yeah.
2: You guys drive at like <laughs> 10 miles an hour when you're out there. I don't know what's wrong with yeah. you on these freeways. You've got massive roads. Um, yeah. But you're, you're kind of putting it in a way which, you know, is obvious when you say it. But I think for a lot of people that you see that are looking to accumulate, you know, looking to play the best golf courses, whether it's in their country or in their local area or in the, in the world for that matter – it's really the journey's better than the destination, right? So it's all about it's it's all about the journey and the people you meet on the way. And you Absolutely. know, I, I guess you know, kind of you've built up a, a network of people that you've met on your way, some characters, and I bet there's like some absolute wild cards that you've kind of just you know put yourself in a random town at midnight, need to get a hotel room, and kind of play a course the next day. One of the things you you talked about there is obviously Sandhills, which is you know that's kind of a it's almost like a watershed moment, isn't it, in golf architecture, with Core Crenshaw, I think, kind of mid nineteen nineties. And that was where all of this sort of new age architecture developed. And you talked, you know, earlier in the pod about North Berwick, which is obviously, you know, hugely historic. Coming from Oregon, you've got Bandon Dunes, which like occupies four courses now, I think, inside the top one hundred ranking, aren't there, there on that site. How yeah. do you see that kind of blend like, you know, is there a preference to kind of modern age architecture in the Renaissance it's going through versus maybe golden age instead of pre-1900? Or do you do you just kind of look at it and just think it's all good golf and I just like stuff that's interesting?
1: Mm, yeah, that, that depends on, you know, I, I suppose it depends on which day you ask me and how I'm feeling because on on some days – absolutely i like i like good golf and you know we're, we're we're talking about something you know we're talking about courses and if i say oh that that one i feel for me that's that's an overrated course that doesn't mean it's not a great course we're talking about the yeah. top 0.01 percent in the world right so it's yeah. all relative every one of them is great yeah. even the ones that people say oh that should have never been in the top 100 well maybe it's in the top 200 or 300 it's still in the top one percent in the world
2: bloody good isn't
1: it so oh, yeah. it's still freaking brilliant right so I mean, all that stuff is is very, very relative. And, and so much of it comes down to personal preference and taste. And, uh, you know, if you're a purist and you like the Golden Age stuff and Lynx courses, well, you know, Parkland Golf in the U.S., you're going to look at that a lot of times and you're going to go, yeah, that's so manufactured. And, you know, then you're going to go to a Fazio course and you're going to go, oh, God, I even got to take a cart here, for example, or whatever, <laughs> right? Oh, heaven forbid, you know. So, again, that's just… How, how do you how do you want to look at it? At the end of the day, the great courses usually have tons of variation, great strategy, really interesting holes. Um, you know whether you want to debate ones a little bit better than the other or something like that. It, it, it's all relative. And and you end up getting extremely granular if you want to really start dissecting them. You know, yeah. so you mentioned a couple of courses. Mm. You know, my question was always kind of like this: This is how I, I would look at it. Sand Hills is is absolutely brilliant. But what happens if you pick it up from where it's at in Nebraska, and you you put it in Scotland? So,
2: does it just sort of become it, then yeah, very I mean, similar with its peers, and it just becomes another fantastic sort of links course, isn't it? Really, Sandhills is it? Is that what really happens? Is that your point? Whereas it's almost the the innovation attached with
1: yeah. Know, kind of the, so, the story. I mean, I, I'll 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 preface it by saying Sandhills is really special place for me I, I played four rounds there i played the best round of my life there up until that point the first time i ever broke par so wow. um and i was I, at that time i was um i was spending a lot of time on uh golf club atlas uh ran set site and uh, that's a you know a great place to start learning about architecture and stuff like that and then and, and discuss it and i had to you, you can, it's so Sand Hills is a place that a lot of people uh, don't know this, um, but it's a place where you're kind of allowed a one off invite. Um, it's tricky to know how to get it, but but if you know how to get it and you can write a really good letter and stuff like that, you can actually get an invite to go out there with uh, three buddies or, or four ball. Um, I had the situation of not having any friends that wanted to go with me because nobody travels from here basically. Right. So I'm in the Netherlands. I mean, I'm the only, I don't want to say I'm the only guy, I'm the only guy who travels for golf, who doesn't go to Spain or yeah. England basically. Yeah. You know? So people just rarely go any place. Nebraska else, uh, is a here. bit of
2: a random one, isn't it? When you say yeah, it to a so friend. It's, and it's, yeah.
1: it's not like I could call up four guys and go, Hey guys, you want to go to Nebraska? Oh yeah. It's <laughs> going to be like a 10 hour drive and then we're going to fly for uh, 20 hours to get there <laughs> and we're going to do all this, you know, and then everybody's yeah. going like, yeah. Okay. Take a hike. You're that case. So, <laughs> ba- basically, you know, basically, I, I went out there with uh, three guys that I had invited that uh, from Golf Club Atlas that hadn't been there before, and um, and so it was really fun to play my best round ever and in, in front of this group of guys, right? Because you know, yeah. I, I didn't know him. It was just kind of this cool thing, and um, and everybody was good. Everybody was good players. They were all into architecture and stuff like that. And so there was a, there was a little bit of both. And I left feeling like, yeah, this is this is a really special place. But you know, later on, as the years have gone by, I've I've always asked, okay, it gets ranked so high, and then you know, obviously rankings are subjective and everybody that goes there loves it. But it's also about the experience of getting there and all of the difficulty of doing that. And it's a very unique place, uh, to be honest. The course is fantastic. Corn Crenshaw are probably the best rooters of golf courses at, uh, in, in the modern uh, day, together with Dope maybe or whatever. But all those things taking into consideration, like I said, what happens if you pull it away and you put it in Scotland? Is it just one of the great courses? Or is it really then still tough? You know, top ten in the world, let's say.
2: Mm. It's really tricky, isn't it? Because you know, one of the things we, we, you know, you look at it and you go, "How can you separate between them?" Because you, you know, the whole—I mean, we're kind of drifting into the topic of rankings and their place. And you know, I think there's a lot of brilliant. Like you've had, you've had a fantastic adventure doing this, but then also people who narrow down decisions on courses to play based on rankings is equally poor strategy because you limit your you know it just becomes its own self-fulfilling thing right and you know you look at the courses that are in that ranking how on earth do you actually pick them apart so I mean how can you have county down behind Shinnecock Hills I mean they are completely different places how can you have E T next to San Francisco you know they are completely different places and it becomes Mm -hmm. you know quite abstract and hugely subjective doesn't it to actually kind of pick the two apart so yeah it's it's just a there's no hard and fast draw right
1: yeah, no, exactly. And and you you were you were talking about that I guess in when we went into that uh, about sand hills and you'd mentioned Pacific Dunes, kind of the modern versus the golden age or the classic stuff, mm. basically. Um, I I guess I I feel like I've come kind of full circle on that. Um, in the in the beginning with all the study and uh, you know reading books, visiting courses, where I started the experience uh, in, in Scotland. I was really, I had a huge purist lean um, myself. And then if you go to courses and you have that very strong lean in your head, that little bit of a brainwashing almost, so purist or minimalist type of uh, uh, outlook when you go to them, it's very easy to go see something that might be phenomenal. And I'll I'll just give you an example. So something like Wade, Wade Hampton. Um, not that many people have uh, probably have, have been to see it. If, if you do, it's it's uber private. It's a Fazio course built up in the mountains. It's incredibly beautiful. It's the kind of course that has waterfalls behind the greens and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> yeah. so it has yeah. like like a, which that is agree, something that
2: sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Exactly, it's it's something that the Fazio is the best in the world at doing those type of things. Mm. So when I went to see it, I really had that purist lean, right? So I walked away thinking you know you're not so special kind of uh, that's not so uh, that's that's not so great you know that's totally manufactured and blah 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 everything that you would hear yeah. from uh, somebody who is is has a purist lean um i i think that in the 20 years i spent chasing around i probably have come back around that i have a lot more appreciation even for the modern uh, the modern stuff than just the um you know just just the Golden Age Links courses, or you know your your, your Shinnecocks and NGLA's and, and, and these type of places, or you know everything that Donald Ross or or uh, MacDonald or what, you know whatever all all those things, which are all great. Every course has something very interesting about it, basically. Mm. But it, it's not like it just doesn't have to be looked at it in that in that same way. So now I feel like when I go to uh, go to see something, I develop a lot. You know, different level of, of appreciation for some, you know, some of the newer stuff that comes along.
0: Well, you mentioned earlier on about Core and Crenshaw and what they're sort of bringing to golf now. And if you look at the the, the rankings, um, Core and Crenshaw have nine in the top 100. Tom Doak's got 12 or had his hand in 12. They're in the top 100. Um, there certainly seems to be a bit of a renaissance going on. And do you have a favorite architect that be it living or, or past that you like playing their golf course and you like, that's, that's the golf course i like to play.
1: Well, I mean, my favorite, um, most certainly is Alistair McKenzie. Um, you know, it, it's not that hard if you've got Cyprus, Augusta, um, Royal Melbourne, um, you know, just, just, just to name a, name a couple of courses uh, plus, a pretty strong lineup of other um, uh, courses that are 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 excellent as well from your all woodleys to mm. your um, to metal club to um, you know um,
2: you've got palmetto uh, haven't you have Scott McKenzie inv- involvement that's not in the and the rankings but you've got no that's right fabulous, there, there's some. fabulous I mean around Leeds in, in England which is obviously Chris, where, Crystal
1: Downs. Yeah. Uh, yeah. more is it Morehouse than more around town. Leeds more town. You, more town. Sorry more town, yeah. sorry for that. Yeah um, so so there's, you know, he's touched a lot of different things. And even the stories about, you know, about Australia or whatever is it, Kingston Heath, for example, as well. Mm-hmm. He went there and he, he, you know, he spent 15 minutes there and sketched out a couple of bunkers. And then the guys that built it built something amazing, right, the, afterwards. So, you know. It's
2: Alex Russell, I, wasn't who did all the work based on yeah, some of the exactly. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So you know he's he's my favorite and the second favorite is is Harry Colt and Harry Colt's making um probably a push towards uh being being equal um yeah. even it's it's just you know they what they've done um you know their their different work their their take on uh, golf architecture with the with you know definitely some similarities as well um from feel wise when you when you go through their courses yeah. Just that golden age stuff is, uh, is 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 great, and I guess those two are uh, those two are my favorites. Though there there's a list of them, you know. Simpson, I, I'm not an expert in, on probably any of them, but on but my I've played this last uh, couple of years more and more Simpson courses. The best one had been probably, you know, I'll, I'll probably miss a couple right off the top of my head, but the the best one's probably fontaine. Yeah, but um, mm. but there's ones that have been um, more recently um, they've done a lot of work to them like Royal Antwerp for example it has a lot of subtleties a lot of things that are from Simpson are very interesting and, and those type of courses Fontainebleau has mm-hmm. huge potential uh, it, it, in my opinion it probably could be the number one course in Europe if they cut down you know twenty thousand trees and i'm not kidding <laughs> but um, yeah. but but you know there's so there's there's more and more um of of those um yeah those architects and, and you know i'll give you another example a guy like flynn I, I am total amateur on 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 flynn and recently i played um uh, in fact in october I, I was so lucky i had the opportunity to sneak out even during the pandemic and go to um go to the U S for a couple of weeks. And I, I got to revisit. I, I'm very lucky because I get to revisit Pine Valley quite a bit. And so I, I, I got to play Pine Valley with a, a guy who's uh, written a book on, um, on Flynn. So he's like one of the foremost experts on, on, on Flynn at this stage and a historian and everything. And uh, that was super fascinating. And I re- I realized, I realized, I, I don't know anything. I don't know anything about him. And I, yeah, I, I was even thinking to myself like, oh, I, you know, I, I think I played um, a few of his courses. Well, it turns out I played, you know, a, a few more than I thought, even basically. But uh, that, that's how kind of lacking I felt in in knowledge when we were talking about him. So that that was fascinating. And I and I, and he could easily, if I knew more, he could easily be one of my favorites. Right? I mean, it's just. One of those things it's because oh that's i I started with McKinsey and and Colton I've played more of their courses than probably anybody else, so maybe that's why they're my favorites
0: and we're gonna wrap this episode up there, guys. uh part two will be dropping very, very shortly. It's incredible story at the end of part two, so please do check it out it, it possibly my favorite story yet to come on the cookie jar off podcast so check out part two and uh, we're gonna pick it up from where we've left this Watch one off
2: this